Welcome to Writing the Past, a space where historical fiction writers share their experiences and advice on bringing the past to life. I'm your host, Isla Finn. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Writing the Past podcast. In the last episode, we spoke with Claudia Merrill about creating sustainable research and writing routines. Today, we're chatting with Cameron Brett, an Australian author of a young adult historical fiction series set in ancient Egypt. We'll explore his advice on writing memorable historical adventures, how writers can successfully self-publish and market their books, and more. Cameron, it's so great to have you here with us today. Thank you, Ola. Thanks for having me. Feels like it's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming, and it's great to finally get your insights on all of this. I'm super excited. And I thought to kick things off, if you could have dinner with any person in history, who would it be and why? I feel like every historical fiction writer has an inner like history nerd, so I feel like we need to clear this question first. <laughs> I love the question, but I'm a little bit boring, so I'm gonna <laughs> give, I'm gonna give you both sides to not be a complete spoil sport. Nice. Which would you like first, the boring answer or the one you're after? Let's go the boring one first. Although I'm sure it's not that boring. <laughs> I'm not overly drawn to historical figures like some people are. I'm more fascinated by the daily life of that civilization, their beliefs, how the geography landscape has formed their society, and those kinds of things. But to answer your question, probably. Ramesses II, his legacy is just incredible. There wasn't really a part of their society that was struggling at the time. The economy was booming, infrastructure was unprecedented, and they were being able to expand north and south the empire. And, you know, he's got a reign that, according to some sources anyway, stretched across 66 years and died at about the age of 90. So I've chosen him because I feel he'd have a fair few stories to tell and some wisdom to share. Yeah, 90 is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, especially in those times. <laughs> nice. I'm the similar. I like I quite enjoy in a novel when you have like some really big historical figures, but then you also have them intersecting with some every the lives of some everyday people because those are the stories that don't get written. So it's true it can be really interesting to know what life was like for the average person so much more. So what first got you into writing? My older brother was a really avid reader and I guess I thought he was pretty cool, so I started reading a lot as well. Nice. I guess like most people reading probably eventually leads to writing. That was about maybe age 12, I think. And yeah, my mind has little to no chill. I've got ideas just coming at me all the time, usually when it's time to sleep. I know that feeling. I remember when I was younger, I'd spend so much time like not sleeping at night, just making up stories in my head. And yeah, it wasn't really that conducive to waking up the next morning, which is probably why I'm not a morning person. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know where all the ideas are when I'm staring at a blank document. But anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They always come at the most inconvenient point. So what made you choose to write historical fiction in particular? I think it was just the idea that led me there, but I probably tried my hardest not to. I think there was 10 years passed between conception and creation of my debut novel, The Pharaoh's Curse. It just happened to be when I was in an ancient history class in high school, and it all sort of stemmed from a moment in class when I started to consider what if the Egyptians couldn't maintain the balance between order and chaos, what would happen then? And yeah, that was in my senior year of high school, about two weeks out from final exams. So that was very inconvenient. That must have been interesting timing. Did you start writing it or did you wait until after your exams? I did lots of planning. I think I maybe wrote like 500 words or something. And then I like was browsing my computer one day in first year of uni and was like, oh yeah, this document that I started working on. And then, yeah, life. It was probably 2016 when I started seriously returning to write it. So yeah, it was probably seven yeah. years that where I did like maybe 3,000 words. <laughs> yeah, but it was always there, like cooking away in the back of your mind. 
me it was kind of similar like my first novel I think I probably wrote it over the span of about eight years and there would definitely be seasons I feel like especially when you're studying it's like I guess you often have times when you've got exams you've got essays and stuff and so your novel is just kind of there in the back of your mind but you're not really doing anything with it but you know it's still there and it's not going anywhere so the other thing is well congratulations you've already written two historical fiction novels which is incredible could you tell us a bit more about the Ascendancy series, The Pharaoh's Curse and The Pharaoh's Sacrifice. What are they about and what was the inspiration behind them? Yeah, no worries. The Ascendancy series is about ancient civilizations vying for dominance over one another. So far in the first two books, we've followed the Egyptians and main protagonist Merket through fictional 18th dynasty. But I've got plans to probably include the perspective of the Romans as well. They're probably my two favorite civilizations, Egypt and Rome. I will say a bit bit more about the books but I just want to raise this first did you struggle to like summarize your books when you were querying and writing a blurb and all that oh my goodness such a good point like I don't know if you find this but my story sounds great in my head like when it's all mapped out and all written out I know it's good but then when someone says to me oh hey what's your book about I'm just totally paralyzed and I don't know what to say <laughs> I don't know if it's because you spend so much time investing in all these pages it's so hard to then condense all of that into one hook but yeah, I find that really hard as well, for sure. I think there's an element of that. And then I guess we're all a bit self-conscious. So that struggles to get the words out as well. But yeah, doubly so if someone like asks me in person, like, what's your book about? I'll just be like, mm. <laughs> and then like writing blurbs and cover letters and all that. Like, I find that very difficult too. But I will, I will try and answer your question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Go for it. I'll maybe just deal with the first one. So The Pharaoh's Curse is probably a coming of age story. It follows Maquette, who inherits the throne way before he's ready, and he certainly wasn't expecting to inherit it. And he just faces pretty much every challenge any pharaoh could have, but in really quick succession. So, you know, the Nile betrays the Egyptians, and they're all wondering what's going on. Why doesn't the new pharaoh have the favor of the gods? And it just sort of spirals from there. And was there a particular inspiration behind it, or was it during your high school class that it kind of came to you, the story? Yeah, so it was in that high school class when I sort of had that what if moment it's the mm -hmm. story's certainly grown along the sort of 10 years between conception and final publication but yeah the roots are still pretty true to that initial idea what was the research process like because you're going quite far back to quite an ancient civilization what was it like to research those two books I did myself a bit of an injustice with the research like ancient Egypt I'd studied it for two years in senior high school like I knew so much about it but then just because I didn't act straight away I lost a lot of that knowledge I still had you know the outlines of it all but I probably got a bit too caught up in the research and I think that's why it took me sort of three and a half years to get that first novel done is a lot of the time I was being busy without actually writing. I've always been curious like when you're researching ancient Egypt where do you start what kind of sources do you go to when you're when you're going to such an ancient time? If I'm really clutching I'll probably resort to Google, but I've yeah. been able to secure some textbooks over the years. So what you might, if you were studying Egyptology at uni or something, just the kind of textbooks they would recommend. Touch on just the back end of how I went about the research wrong, like just became too obsessed with being historically accurate and that kind of came at the detriment to story. So these yeah. days I generally try not to get caught up in research. I'll just write what I believe is accurate at the time and then I'll just leave myself a little note to try and corroborate that later. I've tried to do that writing my next book recently because I think I was the same as you. I got very focused on historical accuracy and same as you really. I feel like I got so focused on that that then the story kind of came second. 
So I had to do a lot of revisiting and filtering through all of that to find out what was actually interesting to read. Because <laughs> um, I think Helena Barnard in one of our earlier interviews, she was saying actually the main focus of writing historical fiction is to entertain people. Like obviously it needs to be accurate to have that credibility, but then at the same time people are reading it to be entertained. It's not, I think in her words, she said it's not an academic textbook. And yeah, I think that can be so true for researching historical fiction. I remember listening to that. I think that was the first or second episode and I was like, yep, that's how it is. It's a thing. Definitely. So your Ascendancy series features a lot of action and adventure and it was honestly thrilling to read. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And what advice would you give to people who want to write a memorable historical adventure? This is a tough one. Yeah, I think I can give a good answer for the thriller aspect of it. For the action adventure, I'm not so sure, but we'll give it a go. I just think yeah. so much of all story comes down to setting up the stakes. You know, if your character's desires and motivations fall flat, then, you know, the reader can't resonate them. If the stakes aren't meaningful or plausible, and it's just hard to get the reader invested and to care about your story. For the action and adventure, I think for the most part, that's taken care of itself. I don't know if that's luck or I'm not sure, but I find that if I'm not having fun or enjoying the writing process, there's probably something lacking in that scene. And I'll just try and maybe, you know, finish up the scene and then try and diagnose why that was. Because, you know, an adventure is meant to be keep you on the edge of the seat. It's meant to be fun. So I just, I don't know, I try and keep that in the back of my mind when I'm writing. That's a really good way to look at it. I remember you gave me some feedback on my novel, which really helped me as well, was raising the stakes to make it a bit more like an adventure. And it was really helpful for me too. And I also wanted to know, um, how would you describe your writing routine? Like what works best for you? Unfortunately, what works best is seldom able to be done. So my <laughs> writing routine is probably a little bit chaotic at the moment. You know, I've just taken on a new role at school, building a house and planning a wedding. So, you know, lots of life stuff happening. But yeah, in an ideal world, I'd probably write pretty late in the evening. It seems to be when my creative energy is brightest, I suppose. But what I've found over the years that, you know, if I'm writing anytime after sort of 9 p.m., 10 p.m., I just find it so hard to sleep just because it's all kind of fresh and happening. And yeah, it's just really hard to disconnect. I did actually want to raise a point about, I think Claudia mentioned it in the last episode. I think she spoke about James Clear's Atomic Habits. It's just so brilliant. I can't recommend it enough. If, you know, two guests on your podcast can't convince someone to go out and invest in it, then I'm not sure what will. But yeah, that book definitely helped me change my mindset to form a consistent habit. And when I was writing The Pharaoh's Sacrifice, I think I reached a 140-day streak to finish the first draft, wow. which like compared to the pace of my first novel was insane. That's an impressive pace for sure. I think, yeah, you're the second person to recommend Atomic Habits to me now. So I think I've got to buy it and, and check it out for sure, because I think it's something a lot of writers face. I think when you're trying to balance writing with all of these life commitments, like in your case, you're building a house, you're planning a wedding, you have a new job and trying to work out where writing fits into that equation can be so hard. So, yeah, I think I need to check out that book. Yeah. I think with like a lot of those books, you, you kind of read them and you kind of know it deep down, but it's just really powerful to have it reaffirmed in written words. Yeah, definitely. And I think those kind of books can be so motivating as well. As you say, when you see it written out, it can really hit home a lot more. And I think it is the power of habit. Like I used to just write when the inspiration struck me, but then I realized I was never really getting anything done. Like if you wait for that inspiring moment, it might be once every six months. <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely need to capitalize on those moments, but you know, the average day that might not happen. What did the publishing journey for the Ascendancy series look like? Once I had completed the first draft of The Pharaoh's Curse, I started to go through the process of crafting a query letter. Even though I knew the book was a long way off from where it 
kind of needed to be. I was pretty excited to get the ball rolling and it actually worked out in my favor doing it at that stage. I learned that what I'd written didn't really fit in any marketing box, at least not that I could see. A lot of the YA market that was at least, you know, if it had some sort of semblance to my story seemed to feature magic. And that seemed to be what the agents and publishers were going for. And second to that, like YA historical fiction is not really a thing. <laughs> I quickly figured out that I'd probably be better off opting to self-publish. I didn't really want to go against my story idea. I think I wanted to create that first idea that I had, even though, you know, it might not be as commercially viable. I just wanted to keep it true to that. And I've learned so much in, you know, writing two novels that, you know, I'm probably ready for the next stage of my career now anyway. It's really good as well that you could stay true to what you felt the story was instead of trying to conform to what the market might have been leaning towards at the time as well. Yeah, like you hear so many stories of authors, you know, it wasn't until their seventh, eighth book, like, yeah, we all want to get the bestseller yesterday, but being realistic, like, you know, you've got to really learn your craft and it'll happen when it's meant to happen. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's so much power in being able to choose your book and still put it out there. There's always an audience, a community that will find your book. And especially, I think, young adult historical fiction, that's such a cool niche as well. So I can imagine it must be really fun to be able to target people within that directly. What advice would you give to historical fiction writers who are hoping to publish in the same way? This kind of links to the previous one, but I think to do your market research quite early, you know, know exactly where on the digital bookshelf that this book is going to live. And then just to get writing, you know, it's a terribly difficult industry to break into. And the best thing you can do is show up as often as possible and just keep producing more books. Well, you've got two out there already, so I'd say you're on fire. <laughs> more to come, more to come. So once the novel is out in the world, unfortunately, in this digital age, the work is only just beginning, as you probably know even better than me. <laughs> so what would you say is the best way for authors to successfully market their books? Yeah, I definitely know <laughs> all this pain. You know, you'd like the journey to be over and just rake in the royalties, but, you know, there's still plenty of work to be done. Marketing's definitely one of my focus goals for moving forward in my career. For people just getting started, I think there's a lot that can be said for getting the basics right before you worry about trying to put any dollars into advertising. So, you know, in self-publishing, that'd be ensuring that your, your book covers nailing genre, theme, and audience, product description that generates curiosity and starts to have the reader empathizing with your protagonist, and that also needs to complement the great work your cover's hopefully done, getting all the category listings and keywords optimized, that stuff just can't be skipped. If you want to get sales, you need to invest some time into that, into those areas. And then the other one, I don't think it's ever too early to start your email list. My grandma is probably the only one who reads my newsletter, but she seems to enjoy it. Email marketing can be very useful because social media, I mean, we've seen it recently how that can crash very quickly and your followers can go just like that. Whereas when you have an email list, you can really capture every single one of your followers and reach them directly. So it's a really useful platform, I think, for, for keeping in touch with your readers, as you say, at any stage of the journey, because even if that you don't have a book out there yet, it can still be a space where you share interesting things from your research that you've learned or share updates on your writing progress. I think there's always something meaningful to share with people at every stage. I've been wanting to start an email list for a while, so I feel like this is my sign <laughs> that I need to do this. I think you should. I think you should. Like your Facebook page, your Instagram, like you don't own that. You know, if that for whatever reason gets outlawed or the policies change, the algorithm changes, like you want to have something that you have control over. And I think there's not many better options than an email list. Absolutely. I think it's something I ask everyone on the podcast, and I think it would be interesting to ask you as well, is if you could go back to yourself when you were just starting out as a historical fiction writer, 
what would you tell yourself? All right, this isn't specifically historical fiction, but when I stumbled on upon this advice, it certainly had a profound impact. And I'm just going to preface it with, I'm going to completely butcher this. So you need to go back to the source people to get it accurately, but it makes sense to me. And it comes from Tim Ferriss's Tool of Titans. So that was all the things you believe you'll be doing in the future, start doing them now. And for me, this was to slow down my writing craft development. I was just churning through content, books, podcasts, YouTube videos, but never really taking the time to apply anything I learned. And I was just constantly searching for the next big thing that would revolutionize my writing without ever really doing any of the groundwork that would actually see me progress. That's a really, a really powerful quote. I think so often I'm looking forward thinking, oh, when I'm published, when I've done this, when I'm living as a writer, but I'm realizing I can start having those habits and now you don't need to wait for that light bulb moment because it's never going to come it's about slowly building it each day and as you say putting it into practice instead of just thinking about it actually doing it can be the hardest thing it's true i realize sometimes when i ask people for writing advice i realize the simplest answer is simply just write like <laughs> there's no other, like we can talk about it all day but ultimately the thing is you do have to sit down every day and actually do it <laughs> like i've definitely been in places in the past where i haven't really wanted to hear that i've just wanted to listen to another masterclass or <laughs> or do another thing but at the end of the day the only way to move forward is to sit down and get the words on the page yeah look we're all guilty of it from time to time but i certainly have gotten better at it which has you know been really good for my craft the other thing i wanted to ask you about is you've also recently released a children's series so congratulations for that as well and i was just wondering if you could tell us about that and also what it was like to write in a different genre because it's a little bit different from a series set in ancient egypt thank you thank you I don't even know where this idea came from, but yeah, I just started to explore a family of quokkas and some like basic life lessons that could be taught through story. But man, writing in a different genre, like especially children's, like making sure that you don't have any complex sentences or like clauses and just keeping everything nice and simple with your vocabulary, like that was actually a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. That idea actually came during an unfortunate stint of quarantine. So yeah, I had plenty of time on my hands and probably was hard to focus on Egypt at the time. I feel like I've heard it said that writing for children can be harder than writing for adults. Do you think that can be true? Yeah, it's definitely a different challenge. And like something I had to learn quickly was like the pictures do so much of the heavy lifting. Like you don't need to describe everything. It just, it required a different sort of proofreading and editing hat, one that I hadn't really developed before. So yeah, it was good fun, good challenge. That's awesome. So looking forward now, looking to the future, what's next for you? What do you see happening in the next couple of years? Next couple of years, let's start short time first. So I've got a short story collection set in the world of the Ascendancy series. And basically these are just like little background stories I've used to discover the characters. And I was like, why, why shouldn't I release these? Like I've done all the work. It's another asset potentially. And I just found that actually writing like little short stories was a really fun way to bring those characters to life. So there's that. I've got two more Quokka books that are almost ready to be released and then the initial two are going to be released in german soon as well wow yeah it was on another podcast a while ago someone it was like sort of like a side hustle podcast and they were talking about like a children's book author and he made some really good points he's like you've already done the hard work it costs nothing to get 500 words translated like why wouldn't you release this in as many languages as you could and then once all that settles i remember sharing early snippets of my story about the high school teacher that goes off the rails I remember that well, it was good. Yeah, that's still at first draft, but I'm really keen to secure an agent for that one and get that traditionally published. So might be stepping away from historical fiction for a little bit. 
That's awesome. And I think it's such a skill to be able to write across multiple genres and you learn so much more, for sure. And also interesting to try a different publishing model as well. You'll be able to see what you enjoy more, whether you prefer having more control or whether you also like having a traditional publishing team as well. So that will be interesting. Yeah, I think most authors in the near future are probably going to have some sort of hybrid approach. Did you catch Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter? I did see that, yeah. I think that might have some interesting ramifications to the publishing industry at some point. Because didn't he basically write four books in a year and now he's releasing them on Kickstarter? So it's kind of, is that what it is? Because I haven't followed it closely. So he met all these contractual obligations. He produced all the novels that his publishing team were expecting of him. And then because he was quite often on the road going to like like Comic-Cons and stuff like that or whatever, but then COVID hit and he found himself at home a lot more and he just used his time wisely. That's amazing. And I think it's true that I think in this day and age with the internet, with all the digital marketing tools we can have, I think it's really a time when writers don't have to wait for a door to open. I think it's very much a door we can begin to open ourselves and we can be really creative in how we do that. Definitely. Like, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be someone who's creative. Like, there's just so many avenues, so many channels. You know, if one doesn't work, then you just try another and it'll, sure. it'll work out, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Cameron, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experiences. If you'd like to keep in touch and follow Cameron's writing journey, you can visit his website, thecameronbrett.com and sign up to his mailing list. I'll add the link to that in the description to this episode. You can also follow him on Facebook, Twitter and Goodreads. Our next episode will be with Graham Johncock, a writer and storyteller who has gathered a huge following sharing Scottish stories, folklore and history. He'll share his own storytelling journey, top locations for writers to visit for inspiration, advice for authors who want to go on historical research trips, and more. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a follow and rate it. And if you're feeling extra nice, you could also leave a review on your favourite podcasting platform. But most importantly, thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Cameron, and we'll be back on here to chat with Graham very soon. Mm-hmm.